Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. On the hump day edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It's been a lot going on, for sure. It's hard to believe it, but, man, college football season is nearly over, at least the regular season. You know, bowl season's fun. You know, I'm a big proponent of fun. People say, oh, there's too many bowl games. I, you know, get off my lawn, right? I mean, come on. Never too much college football. So excited about that. The reality of it is, is uh, we got two big games left for Mississippi State. Starting this weekend, of course, a game that everybody's expected State to win handily against East Tennessee State. I'm going to familiarize you guys with the Buccaneers today on the show, and we're going to take a look at kind of how the bowl pecking order sits today and what could happen to impact that in the two weeks to come. We'll discuss all those things, talk some basketball stuff, uh, just kind of get you updated on kind of where we are. I've had so many people here as of late that have reached out to me uh, about, you know, various topics and things of that nature, and they say, I must say, love the show. I've a lot of book signings here as of late, and a lot of people have come up and said, hey, Steve, I, listen, I've got all your books. I listen to the show all the time. So if I didn't say it properly then, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, thanks for everybody that's bought books here as of late. We have really done well. And if you're looking to buy books, you go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get all my sports books right there. Blooms of Oleander, you can grab it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Books a Million. It's out there for you. And uh, I appreciate everybody that has them all. A lot of sports fans, you know it, Steve, I don't really like poetry, but I want to support you, so I bought the book for my wife. Uh, so I appreciate that. I want to also remind you, too, on the website at dogpiledabook.com, there is a book that I didn't write. It's about you know, the, the essential elements of turkey hunting. A former MSU professor and a naturalist kind of wrote his memoirs and all things he learned about turkey hunting. So if you have turkey hunters in your family, I'd encourage you to give that book a shot. You know, and unfortunately, the, the gentleman died, so we can't get you signed copies. We got the, uh, the books after his passing, sadly, but uh, still trying to help that family sell some books. Not a ton of them, but we'd like to help them sell that. So again, if you've got hunters in your family, maybe consider doing that. It's not just a regular book. You know, it's not just stories, but it's kind of a you're kind of a how-to, and it's kind of a lessons learned thing. So be sure and check all that out. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I was there yesterday. I uh, had the grilled BLT salad. I didn't get the barbecue ranch, though. I got the regular ranch because I'm from South Mississippi. That's kind of what we do. It's, uh, you know, kind of a rite of passage. If you're from South Mississippi, you got to have ranch dressing on everything. But I enjoyed the salad. I enjoyed being able to get in that back booth and kind of get away and talk a little business. My friend had the spring rolls as an entree. Like, he just ordered that, and, like, he basically did the Mike Nemeth thing. He ordered the spring rolls and some French fries. That was his meal. You know, Rose Bowl's a guy that's, uh, you know, got to watch carbs a little bit, you know. So I had the BLT salad. It was absolutely fabulous. And once again, I didn't finish it. The portions there are so incredibly generous. That's one of the things I love about going there is I get a quality meal, and I get a very substantial meal. You can't say that everywhere else, but you can at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas with that fabulous new patio area. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And then Lake Harbor Drive in Origin Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's talk about ETCSU. Now, Mississippi State has played East Tennessee State one time. That was back in 1998. It's a 53-6 win, if I remember correctly. Of course, that's the year we won the West. Not going to win it this year, but uh, that's the only meeting. And ETSU has only played really a handful of SEC teams. 
their lone victory against an SEC foe came last year against Vanderbilt in the debut of Clark Lee as the head football coach at the uh, Vanderbilt Commodores. And so that's their one. I think they're one and six. I've got my notes right here. I don't know why I'm just sitting here speculating. Yeah, they're one and six. One is you hear me turn the page. One and six against SEC teams. And, um, you know, just kind of looking at it real quick here, just so you know. They've played Auburn, Kentucky, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. You think that a Division I program in the state of Tennessee would get an opportunity to play more Southeastern Conference teams with greater regularity, but it just hadn't been the case. And they have played football a long time. It's not like they're, you know, an upstart. They've been around for a while. The program is led by Coach George Quarles. He's the 19th football coach in the history of ETSU. Prior to that, he was at Furman uh, for five seasons as the associate head coach and then uh, got the promotion there. And, and obviously a guy that um, kind of an offensive guy, you know, had some really good numbers in the SOCON. And before that, you know, he was a uh, very, very successful high school coach. As a matter of fact, he's in the Tennessee High School Sports Hall, Hall of Fame. So a Furman grad, too. And that's interesting, too. You know, you get a Furman grad away from their alma mater, and they take a uh, head coaching job. And so, it, you know, it, it is what it is, but uh, that's your background on him. But, uh, you know, you, you kind of run up down these lists here, and you begin to, you know, look for players that maybe you've got some type of connection to. And, and uh, you know, East Tennessee State probably recruits at least North Mississippi. You know, that's what you'd expect. But – there's just not a lot of names on here that have been targets of Mississippi State or pro- prospects that, um, you know, we have extended offers to. And, and you say, but, Steve, you know, we're not recruiting at that same level. You're right about that. But with the transfer portal, when you have guys get processed out, they need to find somewhere to go play. And um, on the current roster, there are not any players from the state of Mississippi. So no connections in that respect. But um, – it could have been some guys maybe that went in the portal and found their way there that maybe we expressed some interest in or had at camp, but uh, no connections really with that roster. So no names to really look for that you may be somewhat familiar with. It has been a very challenging year for the Bucks. They opened up the year with a 44-7 win over Mars Hill. And then they lose at the Citadel 20-17, competitive ball game. Furman then gets them 27 to 14. They beat Robert Morris. It looks like Robert's the only guy that showed up in a 45 to 3 game in Pittsburgh. They lose to UT Chat, who was currently ranked 10th in the FCS rankings at the time, 24 to 16. They go on the road and beat the VMI, Virginia Military Institute, 44 21 in Lexington, Virginia. They lose substantially to number 11 Mercer, 55 33. Then they lose to Samford, who was ranked 15th at the time, 55-45. They lose at Wofford, 48-41. And then lose last week on senior day, 20-17 to Western Carolina. So they entered the ballgame this weekend on a four-game losing streak. The thing that I look at here is, and yes, it's an FCS team, but you know they have done a pretty good job putting some points on the board and with rare exception have been able to go down and kind of uh, throw the football around and put the ball in the end zone. And, again, this is an FCS league, and so you never know, you know kind of how things are going to show up and kind of break out over the weekend. But competitive in most of these ball games, Had a couple of blowouts, but by and large, you know, they've been in these games. You, know, you lose to Citadel by three. You know, the Furman game obviously was competitive. It's a two-score game. Lose to UT Chat 
That's an eight-point game. Ten points to Samford, a touchdown to Wofford, a field goal to Western Carolina. And so it's not like they're a bad team. They've got a bad record, though. And your record is what you say it is. But 3-7 and seven overall and 1-7 and seven in the league. And away from home, they're 2-3. and three. So, again, not a very uh, good year uh, for these guys. But, um, and Coach Quarles said that in his, in his press conference this week. I transcribed that, and he made a comment. It's been a disappointing year. There's no other way around it. So I admire the honesty there. All right, let's take a look now kind of inside the numbers here, kind of what we can expect. They are outscoring their opponents 316 to 280. So basically just over a field goal per game, averaging 31.6 points a game, allowing 28. I expect that number to climb this week. They have been somewhat opportunistic with turnovers, 64 points off of turnovers. So that's an important part of this thing for Mississippi State is, you know, you got to take care of the football. They have had some big plays, but they have not always, you know, been able to sustain drives. Just 194 first downs, they've allowed 231. You know, so teams are kind of methodically working that. Now, they have ran the football for 1,753 yards. They've allowed 1,521. So averaging 175, you know, per game. But they're a fairly balanced offense, averaging 206 yards a game as, uh, through the air. So it's not like, hey, this is a run-first team, it's a pass-first team. Uh, they're going to do their part, you know, to kind of make, make you keep you off balance as best they can. You'd expect that with an offensive-minded coach. Um, you know, to try to hit you with some wrinkles maybe perhaps you hadn't seen. But uh, 162 completions on 303 attempts, 12 interceptions. That's a pretty big number there, 12 interceptions, just 15 touchdowns through the air. So they've been susceptible to the touchdown pass, allowed 20 this year, and allowing 200, just under 270 yards a game. Again, I expect that number to go up. They're being outgained by their opponents 420 yards to 381. And look at we talk about special teams and things like that. From return game, not been very good. You know, kick return average is under 20 yards, but punt return average has been pretty good. It's also right at 20 yards. If we're getting 20 yards of punt return, we feel pretty good about that. They have fumbled the football 12 times, but only given it up three of those times. They forced 10 and got eight. They're a team too that uh, is somewhat susceptible to the yellow hanky. 55 yards per game and penalties. That's not a huge gaudy number, but it's been a consistent issue with them. Uh, punting, they're averaging 41.9 yards a punt with a net punt average of 38.5. So they're doing a pretty good, decent job of, of covering down there. Kickoffs are kind of cool too, right? <laughs> averaging 60.8 yards. So that means there are some returnable kicks for Tulu Griffin or maybe Simeon Price, right? There, there should be an opportunity. I don't know how often they're going to kick off, but we should have an opportunity to, to return the ball because uh, it doesn't look like it's going to consistently make the end zone. They're losing the battle of possession, time of possession, too. Uh, 29 and 30 for them. 29 minutes, 30 seconds. Well, their opponent's just over 30 and 30. So, not necessarily a ball control offense, but they're, they're hanging in there a little bit. Third down conversions have just been okay, 32%. Fourth down, they're right at um, you know, 43% there, too, 6 of 14 but they have been susceptible themselves on fourth down. You know, Mike Leach is willing to go for it. Now, as a defense, they're allowing 39% conversions, but 59% on fourth down. As a team, they have had 17 sacks. They have allowed 22. And they have not played an athletic team like Mississippi State yet. So, will they be able to protect the passer? Will they be able to get to Will Rogers? I, I suspect they won't. 
But, uh, again, just kind of something to watch there. You know, 17 sacks means that they are getting a decent amount of pressure there. Field goal attempts are 17 of 22, and they've allowed 14 of 17. They've attempted one onside kick this year. They did not get it. Been pretty good in the red zone, 79%. But the, the number that jumps out here is the whole thing about sustaining and finishing drives, just 50% touchdowns. So in 34 attempts in the red zone, just 17 touchdowns scored. So even when they get down there and move between the 20s, they haven't really been able to cash in. They've only missed one extra point this year. They have not played uh, in front of a lot of people. They average uh, 47,000. Still a pretty good number, I guess, when you begin to think about the um, the quality of that league. And I don't even know if it, you know that's the average attendance there in the games they played. And let me let me rephrase that. I read that wrong. That's actually a cumulative number. So, but anyway. This will be the biggest crowd they played in front of this year, and you'd expect that. Uh, by the numbers, looking at quarters here, they uh, are, are very much a first-half team. 88 points in the first quarter, and the most points they score by quarter is the second quarter, 117. In the second half, things tend to fade off, which tells me that they're not very good at making offensive adjustments at the break because they dip down to 57 and then 54 points. So they scored more points in the second than they have the third and fourth quarters combined. Not that we expect to be challenged in the second half, but I think that number is, is notable. And they've allowed the most points allowed per quarter for them is the fourth, 99. The fewest, the first, just 51. And again, make of those numbers what you will. We don't expect this to be a fair fight, but uh, it is something to note that this is a team that appears to fade offensively in the second half. Uh Arguably the best player. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. 
That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the team is Jacob Sailors. He is a running back. Has played in 10 games. Leads the team with rushing without question. 1,264 yards and 15 touchdowns. This is a guy that uh, even in this league has turned some heads. So that's going to be job one, limiting the run and slowing sailors down, which, of course, will make them one-dimensional. Uh, Bryson Irby has kind of been a complimentary back, but by and large, the guy carrying the mail has been sailors. Now, Tyler Riddle has had 48 carries, which is the second most on the team. Sailors has 211. They're riding him. He's averaging 126.4 yards a game. And, again, I don't expect this to be a real challenge, but you know, you're going to see a guy that you know, may have a pro football future ahead of him uh, on the field. They spread it around a little bit, you know, when they when it's a secondary guy. But, you know, by and large, they're handing the ball to Sailors. Now, Tyler Riddle is your uh, quarterback. Played in 10 games. They actually had kind of a two-quarterback system. Tyler Riddle and Isaiah Wilson both have played in every game. Uh, Tyler Wilson, excuse me, Isaiah Wilson, pardon me, has played some, but has only attempted two passes. But he's 100%. Uh, his efficiency is very good, too. And so, you know, I don't know how they're really utilizing him because it doesn't record any rushing statistics. But uh, he is a guy, too, that has played some at receiver. And so it looks like maybe perhaps that he's a guy that they uh, run some halfback passes to or, you know, some double screens. It doesn't look like he's officially listed as a quarterback. He actually is one of their uh, better receivers in addition to this. But um, they will allow him to throw the football some. But uh, Tyler Riddell is going to take uh, the, the lion's share of the, the snaps here. But uh, 146 completions, 268 attempts, nine picks for him, an efficiency rating of 125.9, completing less than 55% of his passes. For 1,903 yards, 15 touchdowns, a long of 75, just at 190 a game for him. But you, you look up and down, Barry Mays done some things. They have played – they've had four different players throw passes and only two of them are quarterbacks. So it's important to kind of look at that. I guess that's not technically true. I guess Brock Landis is actually a, a quarterback too. But um, not huge explosive numbers. And you don't look at this where anything really jumps out outside of sailors. You know, it's kind of like they're a one-man wrecking crew. And I think a 3-7 and seven record is reflective of that. But Will Hussey, a guy we talked about that um, has kind of been involved in a lot of things. He's carried the football, but he is the leading receiver. 
Uh, 41 grabs for him, leads them in just about every statistical category as a receiver. 41 grabs, 531 yards, six touchdowns, averaging 53.1 yards a game. Enos Carter has 30 catches, and then Isaiah Wilson, we just spoke about him. He's also a 30-catch guy too. But uh, they've got basically you know, three wide receivers that they depend on. That's Huzzy, Carter, and Wilson. Sailors also has 20 receptions out of the backfield there. And then once you get beyond that, there's nobody that has more than 10 receptions. And so it looks like what we're going to see is basically the same packaging more times than not. They'll bring some guys in occasionally, but on on these passing downs, they kind of rely on these same three guys. Uh, Punt returns are uh, Elijah Huzzy. I'm sure that's relation to Will Huzzy. He is the the, the lead punt returner, eight returns for 119 yards, averaging 14.9 yards a return. And then a couple other guys have had some big returns for him too, but he is the primary guy. Long of 62. So you got to be careful there. You know, in the way that we've punted here as of late, I don't know that we can outkick the coverage. we got to get that figured out. Now, Elijah Huzzy, too, is a defensive back, has leads a team with five interceptions and uh, 100 yards in returns and one touchdown. Sheldon Arnold is a guy that met with the media earlier this week. Had some quotes from him in our article on Gene's page yesterday. He's had a couple of picks, too. Kick returns, Jacob Sailors leads him in kick returns. So he's kind of a do-all, be-all guy, right? Nine returns, 219 yards, 58 is the long. Tonquez Balls, another guy that's back there with him. He has had eight returns. But as a team, they've not been significant when it comes to returns. Probably the best return guy just on the numbers is Jalen Frierson. But Sailors, arguably their most explosive player, so they're going to give him the most opportunities to touch the football. Uh, total offense here. I guess we'll skip that. It doesn't really matter. Um, the punting stuff, 42 punts this year, 41.9. 14 fair catches, 14 inside the 20, but 70, excuse me, 7 of 50-plus. So this Trace Kelly guy's got a big leg, big leg when they need it. I mean, I don't know that I've seen a lot of those this year, guys have that many punts over 50 yards. They also have had a couple blocked, or they've blocked a couple, excuse me. We mentioned uh, Tyler Keltner earlier. He's the kickoff guy. Yeah, he has had 23 touchbacks on 63 attempts. So basically one in three. So for every one kick that goes into the end zone, you get two that are returnable. That's significant too. And again, I don't know how significant it will be because I don't know how often they're going to kick off. But um, there is obviously an opportunity for us to set up a big return there. Our defensive numbers here, Chandler Martin – Leads a team with 99 tackles. Also has three and a half sacks, which is a team high. Four breakups, four passes defended. Just kind of getting out there doing it all, aren't you, Chandler? We mentioned uh, Elijah Huzzy earlier, too. 56 tackles for him. And from there, it drops off. It kind of begins, you know, kind of incrementally going down. Eric Campbell with 53. Sheldon Arnold with 47. Uh, you kind of get, the, the, you know, the gist there. The, you know, Martin is the dude. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, when you look at this defense, there's just not a lot of stars on this team on either side of the football. And, again, that's reflective, you know, a 3-7 and seven record. You, you shouldn't have a lot of stars on a team in that respect. If they were playing like stars, well, then um, it'd be a little different, right? Maybe your record isn't the same. But when you begin to think about, you know, going 3-7, and seven, I mean, you're not going to have people that just kind of jump off the page at you. 
And again, we're talking about an FCS team. You know, I mean, we're not, you know, we, we have to respect them as an opponent. But I think the reality of it is, is all of us can look at this and understand State should win this game considerably. And it really shouldn't be much of a contest. But, you know, we'll give them their just due and we'll run through their, their numbers like we do everybody else. But I expect State to win this game handily. You all expect to win the game handily. It's 11 a.m. kick. And uh, we did clear up one thing, too. There was a rumor out there that Mike Leach is the one that requested the 11 a.m. kick. And I asked him about that, and he did not. It wasn't him. He says that was shared incorrectly or shared falsely. Uh, I think he wanted to play the game at night. But uh, either way, we're going to make good use of that time and begin to prepare for uh, Ole Miss and the Egg Bowl next uh, Thursday. And I think a bigger part of that, too, when you look at that, is no matter how this whole thing plays out, this week we have been able to maybe allocate some guys to watch film and begin to prepare for Ole Miss. Ole Miss may have done that too, but you know their full focus is on Arkansas. We've got the benefit of the schedule. We kind of mentioned that on Monday too. We've got the benefit of an FCS opponent, and we could probably run base offense and defense and not have to put any any opponent-specific blitzes or new wrinkles in. We should be able to out-athlete these guys. But, you know, Vanderbilt probably thought the same thing last year and got beat 23-3. to I don't expect that to happen to us, but um, I do like the fact that we do get a little bit of a break in the schedule here late, even though we appear to be kind of trending in the right direction from a health standpoint. Uh, you know, Manuel Forbes did play last week. He wasn't 100%. He'll be closer to that this week. But I do not expect to see any of the starters in the fourth quarter, and I believe once we get in the second half that we will substitute rather liberally in the third quarter because, you know, we don't need to get any difference makers hurt. Get some reps for these younger guys and protect those guys. Get your legs back under them before we play – a very important ball game on a short week. So that's important to understand, too. It's not just about managing this weekend. It's about managing next weekend. And we're going to talk more about that Ole Miss-Arkansas game uh, you know, Friday and, of course, a little bit uh, later in the show as we go through the, uh, the bowl pecking order. But that's your preview of ETSU. And, again, I don't want to waste a lot of time on the show talking about a game that I don't think is going to be um, you know, competitive. I may feel differently on Monday, but I, I just don't feel that way today. I think that would just be a waste of my time and your time to sit here and belabor the point and try to make ETSU seem like a worthy opponent, and they're not. I'm not playing in a game, so I can afford to say that. But um, you've got a losing FCS team that um, this year has struggled to put the ball in the end zone. Can't win off field goal, certainly against an SEC team. You just can't. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. CloseTheBlair.com, that's the best place to go when it comes to mortgage lending. Many of you have thought about, you know what, maybe it's a time to refinance. Maybe it's time for me to uh, buy a home. Maybe you've been renting for a while. Maybe you've been turned down in the past. Blair is a closer. If anybody can get your loan closed, it's Blair Chandler. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And mention to Blair, you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? Just by listening to this show, you're going to save about 500 bucks right out of the gate. There's privileges and benefits to being part of the boneyard family. Blair's a guy that's been in the industry for a long time, 21 years of experience, top 1% close ratio in the country in back-to-back years. And that's not just in Stone County. That's nationwide. It's a guy that gets things done. And nobody stays in any industry 20-plus years on accident you got to know what you're doing. And so Blair is a friend of mine. He's a friend of yours. He's your friend in the industry. He will be your advocate with underwriting to get your loan approved. He's not going to waste your time or your money 
if he didn't think that he can bring your loan to a close. And so be sure and check him out. That should be your first stop. Again, closewithblair.com, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, for all your mortgage needs. All right, top 10 today. We're going to change it up a little bit. Uh, you guys really like that Lionel Richie list. I think last time I heard from Roy, we had like over 13,000 impressions on that. 13,000 for Lionel Richie? How about that? It's outrageous. Some of you will understand the reference. Others, you won't. So we're going to dip back into the 80s, and we're going to talk about a pop icon. It's George Michael and Wham. You'd say, but Steve, can you speak intelligently? Guys, I had to make it big on cassette, all right? George Michael was a talented guy. And I think what's interesting, too, and I don't want to get real political, okay? Can you imagine if George Michael today, with the way the media is today, don't you believe maybe he would have had a less tortured career? The, the poor guy, man, you know, back in the 80s, you know, we had the AIDS epidemic and everything else, and there were so many people out there that, oh, is he gay, is he gay? You know, not that it should have mattered, right? And today it would matter a lot less, but there were a lot of people that, you know, they basically boycotted his music, and they, there was all kind of stuff behind that because of uh, what they perceived to be his, uh, you know, his sexual preference. Or, you know, and I hate to use that, that language. I don't mean to use that in a way that's not current with the times. I'm just trying to say that, you know, I was a huge Freddie Mercury fan. I, did, I still am. I don't care who Freddie slept with. I don't care who George Michael slept with. It's not my business, right? Uh, but I enjoyed his music. Many of you did as well. And I think there were a lot of people that were so conflicted, you know, because this, this handsome guy had all these women hanging over him. But be that as it may, his personal life was his personal life. And the way that it all spilled out in the tabloids, nowadays, today, like if you made an allegation like that, oh, I think this person is – is gay, man, they, you know, you'd be run out of the industry. You know, it's like, hey, where are we? Is this, this 1950s or whatever, you know? And so I, I just shared that because I think in many respects that a lot of the things that happened later in George's life were kind of a, maybe a bit of a product of him being persecuted. You know, I mean, that's just, it's just wrong. I mean, honestly, I, and I don't know your feelings or your religious beliefs, and I'm not going to challenge that, but, you know, to go after somebody over something so personal like that, I mean, he's just trying to be a performer, and all of a sudden, everywhere he turns, he has to answer all these questions about his personal life. And I know that's life in the, big, in the big lights, but the reality of it is, is I think that one of the reasons that he died so prematurely is because of this constant persecution. Yes, he made some mistakes, but I think the stress and anxiety of all of that, the weight of all of that, I, I think really had something to do uh, with his addiction issues and, and certainly his untimely death. So let's celebrate the music of George Michael today. And again, this is a mixture of some Wham! songs and some George Solo songs. Of course, Andrew Ridgely was the other half of Wham! The guy who just kind of got up there and danced around with the guitar and helped do the songwriting. He was not the same strong personality as George. But one of the final songs they recorded together as a tandem is The Edge of Heaven. I believe that was actually the final single. Memory serves me correct. It's a big dancing around video, and at the end it says goodbye because that was the end. George Michael was leaving Wham forever, and he did. But The Edge of Heaven, great track. Number nine, a tremendous song. I believe this is on the Faith album. It was a big hit. Everybody has these moments when uh, it feels like your relationship's breaking down or it has broken down, and George is asking for one more try. Great song, very emotional song. That's one thing that I'll say about George Michael, too. No matter what you think about him, and what you think about the pop scene of the 1980s, nobody really emoted the way George Michael did. Every word that he sang had a ring of authenticity in it. Number eight, Father Figure. Great video, great song. Love the way this whole thing is put together. 
and maybe a little bit creepy, but a great song. Number seven, probably one of the most important and poignant songs that George Michael ever recorded. And if I remember correctly, when they released the CD sing- single, it was just like a white cover with like no design or anything. It was like typewritten stuff on there. It's George Michael's praying for time. And that was a statement in and of itself. And basically, basically the song is about humanity and about how evil and vile and non-religious, I guess you could say, or non-believing that many people in the world are today. And, and basically he suggests that you know, maybe the reason Christ hadn't come back is he's got nobody to come back for. And well, whether you agree with that or not, I don't. It is a very poignant thought you know, to think about we should all be better people. There's no question about it. I think all of us can take some steps to improve and treat each other with dignity and respect and maybe a, a new level of appreciation. Number six, we're coming up on the holiday season. You're going to hear this song everywhere over and over and over again when you shop. It's Last Christmas. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you, you tore it apart. You know, uh, So that'll be everywhere. It was a big, big hit for Wham. Number five, going back to that Make It Big album. One of the sneaky good songs on that album, I want to say it went top ten, is Everything She Wants. And again, this was one of those things, too, kind of the, the, the game, I guess, he played. And he says, you know, now you tell me you're having my baby. I'll tell you that I'm happy if you want me to, you know. So people were like, well, hey, you know, maybe it's not, maybe he's not who we think he is. It was all that kind of stuff. And none of it mattered. It was so silly. Number three, well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. Limp Biscuit covered it, but George Michael wrote it. It's faith, because I got to have faith. You know, and that's a great video, too. You know, cool image, very kind of a throwback vibe in a song. Number two, though, one of the more controversial songs, and of course, this, this kind of came, this song came to the forefront, kind of in the middle of the AIDS. Uh, epidemic in the United States. It was the song, I Want Your Sex. A lot of people were saying, this is a song promoting casual sex. So they had the disclaimer they put on the video. And like one of the models had like monogamy written on her back. It was, you know, it was a lot of controversy about this. And again, again, it just kind of frames up the era for us that you couldn't talk about those things. You know, nowadays you can do anything. I had a discussion with, um, with Paul Brown just uh, last night about when Leonard Skinner recorded the song, Mississippi Kid. You know, when he says, I was born in Mississippi, so I don't take any stuff from you. Well, that's not how they, you know, they, they performed it live. But you couldn't use profanity even back then in a lot of music. A lot of record companies would not let you do that. Even though we didn't have the PMRC back then, you just couldn't do it. And so nowadays, it's like the Wild Wild West. You can get out there, you can talk about sex, whatever you want to do. Uh, there are a lot of empowered women that, that speak about it aggressively in their music. And so... And I don't know how much of that is an act and how much of it is, is authentic or authentic, excuse me. Uh, but the reality of it is, is he was rightly criticized by a lot of people for something they misunderstood. They were saying, hey, the, the George is out here and he's living this crazy lifestyle and he's promoting it to everybody else. And he's telling our kids they should go have sex. That wasn't what he was talking about. And number one, though, I think we all know where we're going with this. The number one George Michael song, probably the timeless song from Wham! off that Make It Big album is Careless Whisper. Seether has reco- recorded it. A lot of people have covered it. Careless Whisper, an amazing song. The sentiment behind it, probably familiar to most of us at some point. You know, the guilty feet have gotten no rhythm. Uh, George really sings this thing like from his soul, and it was one of those things you probably feel like it was from personal experience. But that's your number one George Michael slash Wham! song. I'd be interested to see how this list goes over. But uh, again, I think it's important to have these dialogues too, because you know it's so difficult 
to view the people of yesterday through the lens of today, right? I mean, it's like it's, you look back and say, well, you know, that, that was kind of the custom for the time and we've progressed as a society. And there are other people out there that'll say, well, no, we haven't. But it's clear that we have. And maybe we have not progressed as far as we have. We should. Um, I'm, I'm a live and let live person. That's been my attitude, you know, probably since I've gotten clean and sober. I used to be very judgmental and felt like that, you know, I had to point out somebody else's flaws to make me feel better about myself. Uh, I believe that I've matured beyond that. But uh, my attitude these days is like, you know, do what makes you happy as long as you understand you're going to be accountable for it, right? As long as you do what you do you, as long as you're not hurting other people. You know, but at some point, you know, you're going to have to answer for the life that you've led. You know, but you're not going to have to answer to me. You know, and so since I'm not the one that ultimately holds judgment on you, I'm not going to offer judgment on you today. You're not going to appear before me. You know, and maybe you don't believe in any of that. I, I do. But at the end of the day, if I'm not the person that has ultimate judgment, why should I judge them today? Right. And so, again, I want to get very religious and philosophical with you. But I just, you know, that's how I feel about it. I think let people be themselves. And if you don't want to associate with those people based on the life they choose to lead, that's your choice, too. You're free to do that. Give them the freedom to be who they want to be. And you have the freedom to decide if you want to associate with them or not. So that's my feeling. I just don't think that I should ever sit in judgment of other people and tell them how they should and shouldn't live their lives. So that's just me. And again, that's probably the most political or even religious that you'll get from me on the show. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, hopefully not political or religious, uh, we're happy to do it for you. You can, the best thing to do is to hit up Roy on Twitter at dogmatic six, seven, and you can find our great top 10 list on Spotify. Also at dogmatic six, seven, that's D A W G M A T I C six, seven. You'd be glad you did. A lot of people that hit us up say, I'd forgotten about this. Did you do this one? We're happy to send you the list, but you can find them yourself. That makes it very easy. Roy. So amazingly, uh, you know, loyal to me to pull this stuff together just because he's my friend. We were supposed to go see Judas Priest in Queensryche tomorrow night. I'm going to be unable to go. I'm going to be at the Starville Touchdown Club. I was at 120 last night in Jackson. I, I misspoke on, when, on Monday. It had been a long day, long night, and um, I misspoke. I was at 120 last night. I want to thank everybody that came out. And in Starkville Touchdown Club on Thursday night. And then I don't have anything Friday. And then Saturday, of course, we'll cover the ball game. And then Sunday, I'll be at uh, Book Martin Cafe. Uh, from 11 to 3. So if you're in town, still doing some shopping, you come by and pick up a couple books. That's kind of my Sunday haunt, right, after a home game, because I like to visit with you guys. A lot of people just kind of come in, and, and even if you don't buy a book, I like to be able to talk sports with you guys. And so I'm there most Sundays uh, after a home game during football season. They're not open on Sunday regularly, but during the holiday uh, season, they are. And so I like to go down there and, and visit with you guys. And a lot of times people come and visit and they end up buying a book. So I'm happy to do that want to make that as easy for you as possible. And a lot of people, like last night's people said, hey, I have your books, but I said, wait, maybe some friends in your family need a Christmas present. Oh, yeah, let me do that. So maybe you're thinking, I've already got Steve's books, but maybe perhaps uh, some people in your family or your friends may enjoy it too. So there you go. And again, thanks to Roy as always. If you, again, ideas, let us know. Uh, we'll eventually get to them. Like I, I didn't think we were doing George Michael Day, and we're doing George Michael today. So, so here we are. So don't ever think, hey, what Steve wants me to do, he'll never do. Eventually, we'll get to them. Eventually, we will. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. We love Campus Bookmart here on the Boneyard. They love you, too, because they see you as family. They've done a great job for a long time for a great fan base. I encourage you to give them your business. You're going to be rewarded because they've got the best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the universe. Bully Shop completely renovated upstairs now. 
no longer downstairs, which allowed them to expand their selections. You win in that situation. So I think it's important to kind of understand <laughs> that uh, you need to look no further. Look no further than Campus Bookmart. Visit them at campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, be sure and check them out today at campusbookmart.net. Let's talk basketball. And it's fun to talk about basketball again. Would you not agree? I think we all would. I think we're excited about the direction of both programs. Now, we'll start with our ladies. Now, two and one, a tough loss, a one-point loss at South Dakota State. And the Jackrabbits have been a very quality women's basketball program here as of late. It's not a bad loss. A lot of people look up and say, hey, why we lose that game? You know, we've played them previously, and uh, they have a very good offensive system. And uh, some complaints about officiating, that's just kind of part of how life works. But uh, we lose by one. So a game very competitive, the first road game of the year. Uh, your ladies back in action against Alabama State this Friday. That's, that'll be an SEC Network Plus game, so you can watch it on your Roku uh, or on your ESPN app, whatever you use for the streaming platforms. And then back on Sunday against Colorado State, we will hit the road to play Georgetown in the Puerto Rico Classico. How about that? So that's the next – not a true road game. We're going to be a neutral site there against Georgetown and Nebraska. And then we'll begin to kind of round out a non-conference play with all of these games at home following the Classico until we get uh, to the Suncoast Challenge. So four consecutive games played at Humphrey Coliseum. So Sam Purcell off to a good start. Would have loved to have won that game. I think that's going to be an RPI builder or a net builder. For both teams late, I still believe this is a tournament team. And I think when you look at the tenacity in which they play defense and in the way that they kind of get after each other on both ends of the floor, that athletically we're good. I think coaching-wise we're good. And I think we're going to look back eventually and say, you know what, this was a great hire. We, we love his attitude. It's very infectious. And, again, this, this schedule, it's a good schedule, okay? It is. It's not a real challenging non-conference schedule, maybe outside of some of these uh, neutral side games. But this is a team that's kind of learning to win. And, you know, last year they just didn't have any depth. Played some games with six and seven players. I think we beat Ole Miss with six players. You know, and that was an important win for us. It really was, to split with them last year. It's been forever and a day since they swept us. And they certainly were the better team last year. But on that day, we took care of them. So, Sam Purcell, off to a big start. I'll take a quick look at some stats here just to kind of see who's standing out, who's not. You know, we, we talked about that first game. But, um, you know, individually here, you know, as a team, we're averaging 81 points a game. That'll win a lot of games on the women's side. But Jaquelia Jordan, you know, doing what she does, you know, averaging 15 points a game. Uh, Debrisha Poe, 36 points total. It's 12 a game. She's, you know, just played in three games, played in every game. But uh, – you know, what I like about this, too, is we're sharing minutes. You know, last year these young ladies had to play so many minutes. They just kind of wore down at the end of the year. But nobody has played more than 30 minutes this year uh, in a game. And that's pretty significant. I think that keeps us fresher longer. And there's really no point to play them in these blowout games late. So we have a little fresh legs when we, we're required to play them. But um, Anastasia Hayes off to a good start, too. Uh, 30 minutes a game for her. 
not prolific as a scorer, but as a point guard, we just needed to be more of a facilitator. She's been a good free throw shooter, averaging eight points a game, but uh, leads a team with 19 assists. Got to get the turnovers down a little bit, eight, eight turnovers, but she does have seven steals. But, uh, you know, do, doing a good job, to say the least. But uh, like the makeup of this team, and I think in the end you're going to be very proud. And I, the thing that I have said many times on this show, we understand that losing is part of competing. We, we understand that. We accept that. We will not accept a lack of effort. We didn't. And last year we had a lot of effort. It didn't have a lot of players, a lot of injuries too. But it, se- it felt like during the Nikki McCray-Pinson era that we really struggled at times to bring consistent effort. Sam is getting good effort out of these ladies. And, again, it's just a small sample size – but they're exciting to watch. It's fun to watch them play. I encourage you to get out and go check them out. Now, on the men's side, you know, the Bulldogs 3-0. And, again, not a real challenging schedule. The Texas A&M Corpus Christi thing, that's a good one. That's a good win. It's because of the fact they're expected to win their league. That could be a net builder for us in the end. But you take care of Akron, 73-54, and you beat Arkansas Pine Bluff, 80-47, this past Sunday in the Humphrey Coliseum. The men are back tomorrow night. It's a Thursday night game, obviously 8 p.m. That'll be on the SEC Network, and that's down in Fort Myers. If you're down in South Florida, maybe give that an opportunity to go watch the ball game. And then uh, we, get, we go from there to play Marquette. Marquette, of course, that's the uh, alma mater of uh, Dwayne Wade. We're back uh, against Georgia Tech or Utah. So, going to be three games down there and could be pretty quality opponents because uh, game three will be either Georgia Tech or Utah. So, three games as part of this uh, Fort Myers thing. And, again, that South Dakota game actually is in Starkville. That's the, quote, regional round. And then we head down to Fort Myers. So, I apologize for the confusion. Thursday night in Starkville, that's eSports night. Crank it up. And then we'll head down to – to Fort Myers, those games will be broadcast on Fox Sports One. But uh, liking what we've seen from this team, and uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit concerned, I guess, in the first half against Corpus Christi. But in the second half, we dominate the game, and, and, and the gentleman kind of leading the charge here. Some new names, but also some usual suspects. And I think that's important to kind of understand too when you're you're kind of melding a roster here of returning players and new players. And we had a bunch, but Tolu Smith off to a great start. And, again, not playing a ton of minutes here. You know, he, he actually – he and D.J. Jeffries right around 25 minutes per game. A lot of names here with double-digit minutes played in each and every game. That's one of those things – and I, you say it under Ben Howland there, I think in the Rick Ray era too, we didn't have a lot of depth on these teams. And as a result, we kind of wore down as the year went along. But uh, we're allocating some minutes for a lot of different players – a lot of different players right there playing significant minutes when the game is on the line that will prepare them for the Southeastern Conference. Uh, your leading scorer, Tolu Smith, 18.3 points per game, averaging just under a double-double at 9.3 rebounds a game. D.J. Jeffries, so far, I think playing his best basketball at a Mississippi State uniform, and, you know, he possibly could have left last year. Still maybe not the prolific three-point shooter. He's 4 of 14, but uh, averaging just under 11 points a game pulling down uh, 13 rebounds, too. That's 4.3 per game. But uh, we got a lot, of, a lot of players here that are on the glass, and I think that's a staple of the Chris Jans area. You know, rebounding is a team activity. I think he has conveyed that message to the team. Uh, Cam Matthews opened the Chris Jans era on the very first possession. 
defensively for State with the block. He has six, which leads the team. We only have 13. That's a number right there that's probably a little bit surprising. Tolu just has a couple. But his teams begin to test us a little more in the post. I think you'll see those numbers go up. But, again, you know, pretty happy with what we've seen so far. And uh, there's a lot going on with basketball. But I think for the first time in a long time, you know, we can be really excited about basketball. Wasn't always like that. You know, for a while there, we were excited about the women, but not the men. Then the men got hot, and then the women didn't. You know, so uh, I guess a couple of years ago when both teams made the tournament, we felt like, okay, we're on the right track, and then things completely changed for us. But uh, I'm excited about the hires, and, I, and I've been encouraged by uh, your social media traffic. We need to kind of get that traffic um, in the Humphrey Coliseum, right? We, we do. We need to try to find a way to make that happen. I don't know if we do it in shifts or whatever, but uh, we need to find a way – to kind of make the hump roar again, because I do believe we have a pair of coaches and some very talented coaching staffs. They're going to win a lot of basketball games for us over the course of the next few years. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, I'd move to Portico. And you know what? I just may. You never know. You, I mean, I'm a, a riddle wrapped inside an enigma. You just never know what I may do. I may just show up over Portico one day and be your neighbor. How fun would that be? We'd be out there in the street having that street party. Your kids come to my house and trick-or-treat. I'd scare them to death, right? Be a good time. If, uh, if, you're think- if you're considering that move to Starkville, let me encourage you to give the folks at Portico an opportunity to serve you. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did because you're going to have a lot of your, your friends and relatives want to come stay with you and go attend the Mississippi State sporting events because you're going to be 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool would that be? It'd be amazing, right? So what are you waiting for? Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. He's my friend, your friend, a friend to Mississippi State, part of a great group of residential developers bringing this wonderful, wonderful development uh, to Starkville. Very easy to get to. You can turn off 82 on a 12, take a right on Pat Station Road, go through the four-way stop. There it is on the right-hand side. Right there. You can give yourself a self-guided tour next time you come to town. But if you need more information, I'm sure you will. Hit up Brooks at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. That's Portico. Make Portico your next move. Okay, let's take some time today. You know, we kind of had, kind of got through those segments a little quick because I wanted to be able to take all the time we need to ensure that we're kind of up to date on where we are in this bowl pecking order. There's a lot left to play out. Now, as it stands today with two games to play, Georgia is in the playoff. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, right? They're number one team in the playoff. They'll remain number one team in the playoff. You look at their schedule, there's no reason to think that they're going to lose a game. I mean, we're still got to go play all the games. But, yeah, I, I, one of the things I would share with you, too, you know, looking at how hard Georgia plays, you know, it's not just a talent issue. It's an effort issue with them. Those guys really get after you. And that's the, the, the best thing that ever happens is when you've got great players – that buy into what you're doing makes all the difference in the world. So they're gonna they're gonna host, excuse me, they're gonna travel to Kentucky. And Kentucky, of course, has struggled as of late. I don't see Kentucky putting up much of a fight. I don't think Georgia blows them out, but I don't think it's much of a fight. And then the next week, Georgia will host Georgia Tech. And then the first weekend in December, of course, they'll uh, be in the SEC championship game against LSU. We have seen both of those teams play. I think LSU can give Georgia a game. I don't know that they can stay with them. But I think that's going to be a competitive SEC championship game. I do think ultimately Georgia wins. 
and it maintains their position as the number one team in the playoff and as the defending champions will have an opportunity to go defend their national championship. So at this point, there is no reason to expect Georgia to drop from the playoff. Then I believe as it stands today and how we expect the schedule to finish up, you're going to have three teams in a New Year's Six. Tennessee, if Tennessee doesn't make the playoff, but either way, they are, they're up, whether they're in the in New Year's Six or in the playoffs. They're up. But Tennessee, you know, again, a team, we've said it a million times, we expect them to be good. We didn't realize they'd be great. They've been really, really good this year. 91, their only loss, of course, to Georgia, and that was a, a competitive game for a while, too. Uh, in many respects, I mean, Georgia had a little trouble putting them away, but you never felt like Georgia was, you know, really in jeopardy of losing the game. But uh, Tennessee puts up 66 on Missouri last week. They travel to South Carolina and then finish with Vandy, and they don't have the burden to play in the SEC championship game. So there's no reason to think right now that Tennessee will finish any worse than 11-1. and one. I think at the beginning of the year I said 10-2. and They're even better than that. Pretty crazy. But South Carolina and Beamer Ball, I just don't think they can compete. Of course, uh, I think Tennessee will knock down Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, Vanderbilt, of course, uh, you know, a big win last week for them. But Tennessee should finish the year 11-1, and which may get them in the playoffs. It certainly gets them into New Year's Six. And there's LSU. LSU currently 8-2. and They do have the SEC championship game to go. And depending on how the rest of the schedule plays out, that could be an issue for them, right? Let's say you drop another game and the SEC championship game, you might drop out of the New Year's Six. But when you look at what they have left to play, you got UAB this weekend. That's not going to be any trouble. That's senior day down at Tiger Stadium. And then you travel to A&M, who has already been eliminated from the race. Nobody down there is motivated to play a college football game. Just not. An abysmal year. And and listen, there have been a few teams in my lifetime that I thought were going to be really, really good. They ended up being terrible. I even wrote an article about one that I'm kind of famous for. Uh, this is one that this A&M team, there's no excuse for them to be 3-7. and seven. There's really not. There clearly is a culture issue there. Jimbo's got issues. I don't think they fire him. Maybe they should. It probably ought to fire Ross Bjork, too, for being honest about it. I mean, what a terrible deal that you've saddled the university with. But LSU will take care of A&M. And so at this point, we project – LSU to finish the regular season with a 10-2 record. And then they'll lose to Georgia, which, you know, won't be a, a bad loss. But they should still be able to get into the New Year's Six with a 10-3 record because of, you know, the fact they've won the Western Division and, you know, their loss at the end of the year will be, will be to Georgia, the number one team. And then there's Alabama. Now, Alabama also 8-2. And you look at their schedule, Austin P this weekend, and then Auburn. Now, that Iron Bowl looks a little bit dicier than it did a month ago. But I think at this point, we would project Alabama to beat Austin P and Auburn. Auburn is playing really, really tough. Respect the fact that Cadillac Williams has got those guys playing a good brand of football. I just don't think they can go into Tuscaloosa. And so I share that with you because I think Alabama – despite the fact that they're not going to be in the playoff, will do enough to make the New Year's Six. So that gives you four teams above the pool of six. Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, and Alabama. The next team up for discussion um, is Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss right there, eight and two. You know, they're behind both Alabama and LSU in the standings and in the playoff rankings. 
Ole Miss, of those teams that we've discussed, has the most difficult schedule remaining. Could they play their way into 10-2? They absolutely could. And then things get a little bit interesting. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Could they work their way into New Year's Six? They could. But you can't get four teams in a New Year's Six from one conference, if I remember this correctly. So at this point, you think Ole Miss is probably projected as a Citrus Bowl, right? Probably. Now, of course, if Alabama or somebody drops out of the New Year's Six and it bumps you know, Ole Miss down. But if you had to call it today, Ole Miss is in the Citrus. The issue that Ole Miss has, a road game to Arkansas that's going to be in some frigid weather. Now, I don't think K.J. Jefferson's going to play, to be honest with you. I think there, there's some rumors out of Fayetteville that KG may be done for, K.J. may be done for the year. Now, true or untrue, there is some question about who's going to play quarterback this weekend for Arkansas. I like the Razorbacks in the game for a couple reasons, and we'll get into that a lot more on Friday. But, number one, Ole Miss has not really played well in Fayetteville in recent years. They've had a win or two there, but by and large, Arkansas has kind of had their number up there. They're kind of used to that overcast, misty, gray, miserable football. Ole Miss really not. So it's very difficult to go play in Fayetteville in November. We've been there. We know. The coldest I've ever been in my life. Razorback Stadium, 2015. Terrible. But at least it wasn't wet. You know, we'll see what happens this weekend. But they're, they're you know, forecasting temperatures in the teens before the game is over. It'd be miserable. I can't imagine even walking outside, much less having to go hit somebody. And then Ole Miss then will host uh, Mississippi State in the, uh, in the Egg Bowl. It is conceivable that Ole Miss could lose both ball games. If they do, they finish the year eight and four, and then ultimately, I think, drop into the pool of six, and I think the Citrus would take somebody else. Right? Make sense? The Citrus gets to pick. Like, you earn your way into the playoff in the New Year's Six based on the, the performance and the playoff rankings. The Citrus gets their pick. The SEC has no bearing at all on the Citrus Bowl. They get to make their pick. And so they're not required to follow the model. So they can just say, you know what, we want this team. This team has never been or this team hasn't been here in five years. They can pick them. So they could still pick Ole Miss, but I don't think that you would if they finish the year on a three-game losing streak. Right? So probably not going to be a very motivated Ole Miss fan base to go buy tickets, especially like if like if Lane Kiffin leaves and goes to Auburn. A lot of rumors suggest that he will. I don't know that I believe him. But all of a sudden you have a team on a losing streak and then a coaching change. Well, you're not – I could see Ole Miss dropping considerably in the pecking order for the pool of six just because of the fact how motivated are people going to be to go buy tickets, right? All right, then you've got a log jam behind Ole Miss as it sits right now with six and four teams. Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State. All of them safely in the pool of six. All of them already bowl eligible. But how do you begin to rank them? How do you pack this thing out? How much does geography play a factor in all this? The team to watch, in my estimation, is Florida. They have kind of quietly just kind of, you know, tretched on this year. You know, had a couple of big losses early. You know, they, they beat Utah, and I thought, hey, they're ahead of schedule. Then they lose to Kentucky. They lose to Tennessee. Nearly lost to South Florida. Eek by Missouri. And then they blast, um, excuse me, they get blasted by LSU. They get blasted by Georgia. 
And then they, they get after A&M last week. And so, again, this is, a, this is a good team, not a great team. That was two weeks ago. They blow out South Carolina. So, it's a two-game winning streak uh, here as of late. And then you look at what's left. That's Vanderbilt. That should be a W. And then you're at Florida State. Well, the Vanderbilt game obviously counts in the SEC standings, but the Florida State game counts overall when you begin to put the bull pecking order together. Florida State currently ranked 19th in the country, playing at home at Doak Walker Stadium. That's at best a toss-up for Florida. And, of course, Florida won the game last year and uh, kept Mike Norvell and those guys out of the bowl picture. And Florida eked in at 6-6. And And so I share that with you because I expect them to beat Vanderbilt. At this point, I don't know that I could say I expect them to beat Florida State. So if they end the year – with a 7-5 record, that changes their bowl projection considerably. And I think there are going to be a lot of teams in some premium bowl games with 8-7 and seven wins just because there's so much parity in the league this year. But Florida is a team, obviously, that could trend in the right direction. Let's say they win against Vanderbilt. They beat Florida State. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a rejuvenated fan base. It's like, hey, we're finally headed in the right direction. We end the year on a four-game winning streak. And offensively, they have been much better as of late. That's an attractive bowl team for me. You can say, first-year coach, Billy Napier, took us a little while to get going, but we're going now. Those fans will be motivated to go buy those tickets. So Florida, to me, is the team to really watch in the pool of six to really kind of push ahead and get one of those prestigious and very coveted Florida Bowl games. After that, there is Kentucky. Kentucky currently the same record as Florida. They would hold a tiebreaker in many respects, if that matters at all. But Kentucky, you know, 6-4 and four overall, 3-4 and four in the league. They're going to play Georgia this weekend. Okay, that's a loss. Now, Kentucky may compete for a while, but Georgia ultimately should win that ball game. So you're finishing up better than 7-5. and five. And when they drop that ball game to Vanderbilt, we all knew, well, that completely changes the context of the bowl structure for the pool of six. Because if you remember – when we've, last time we did this exercise, I suggested Kentucky was maybe the team to watch It had some upward mobility. Well, now they've given that away, and now assuming they beat Louisville, they'd be 7-5. and five. They could be 6-6. Six and six. And despite the fact that Mississippi State lost to Kentucky, State could end up with a better bowl game. Because you got to think, if State wins this weekend, you're 7-5 and five no matter what – you've got seven wins no matter what happens in the Egg Bowl. So, Kentucky – even if some people even predicted them to win the SEC, may just go to the bowl game, maybe 500 this year. Could end the year with a losing record. How crazy is that? Told you guys they weren't any good. I still can't believe we lost to them. All right, so rounding out the, East is the Eastern Division six and four teams is South Carolina. Now, the South Carolina fans, pretty excited about Beamer Ball. They've had some wins this year. Of course, that, that, the big win against Kentucky at Kentucky – it seemed like a bigger deal at the time. They were ranked 13th in the country. Of course, they didn't have Will Levis, and so you, know, you think that's a big advantage for you. But, uh, you know, Levis has not played well as of late. But South Carolina, you know, has you know, beaten Kentucky. Then they beat Texas A&M. They lose to Missouri, which kind of took some of the bloom off the rose there. They beat Vanderbilt and got blasted last week. Now, we expect them to lose the final two games. So, in the end, I think South Carolina drops down to the bottom of the pool of six with a 6-6 six and six record. And, again, Mississippi State, 
You win this weekend, you got at least seven wins, so you should be above South Carolina in the bowl pecking order. So, you know, we're going to have a chance to kind of leapfrog some teams here in these final two weeks. But, of course, you know, South Carolina this weekend hosts Tennessee and then they travel to Clemson. That's two top ten teams for the final two games. Those games are both losses, I think. Now, Beamer has in the past found a way, you know, found a way to kind of shake things up and upset somebody. Did that last year. I just don't see it this year. Spencer Rattler is a bit of a loose cannon. You never know what he's going to do. And I don't know if you realize this, he's only thrown eight touchdown passes this year. Pretty crazy. So they'll end the year 6-6 six and six and should be behind Mississippi State in the ball pecking order. When we talk about State, obviously you got East Tennessee State. You win these last two and you finish 8-4. and four. Now all of a sudden, State is the team with upward mobility in the ball pecking order. Because of the four teams that we're currently tied with, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, you're basically assured if things follow the script here that State will finish with no better – are no worse than the same record as Kentucky and potentially a game better than Kentucky and South Carolina. So all of a sudden that four-way tie is broken up and then Florida and Mississippi State are right there. And so what happens, you know, Florida beats Vanderbilt, loses to Florida State, ends up 7-5, and five, and State goes 8-4. and four. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, State is in position, and this is not a guarantee, but State would be in position to get the most coveted or prestigious of the pool of six games. A lot has to happen, but it's conceivable that State, in the end, could be considered the number six team in the Southeastern Conference out of 14. You have your four teams up, and then Ole Miss is right there, and then all of a sudden uh, State has the same record. Let's say State beats Ole Miss. Now all of a sudden you begin to think, okay, would the Citrus pick State? Because let's say State and Ole Miss have the same record and State wins the game. I don't think you can then reward Ole Miss – with the better bowl game. But, again, the Citrus gets to pick there. It's not the SEC. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility that State could be in a very warm destination for the holidays. It's important to understand that. Now, the teams behind us, and this is where things get really dicey here because none of these teams will be able to surpass Mississippi State in the standings because all of them have at least five losses as it stands right now. So State wins this weekend. You're no worse than seven and five. And so these teams, the best they can be if they went out is 7-5. and five. And so nobody would leapfrog State that's currently behind them unless somehow State loses to East Tennessee State, which is just inconceivable at this point. But Arkansas is a team right there, a very desperate team, right? a team that one time was a top-10 team, currently 5-5 five and five and just 2-4 and four in the conference. And you kind of felt it was happening early on. You know, when they lost to A&M, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, they're not going to be able to contend for the West. They still got Alabama to play, right? And, and they didn't. You know, they lose to A&M and then lose to Alabama. Well, at that point, it's done. You're out of it. And then they roll into Starkville and get beat 40-17. to They rebound to beat BYU, and they, they beat Auburn, and then they lose to Liberty. You know, it's like your season is what it is. But this is a team that has underperformed this year. And yes, they've had some injuries. But there were a lot of people that were kind of beating Mississippi State up. Hey, look how much farther Arkansas is ahead of you guys last year. Well, the script is kind of flipped this year. And at this point, Arkansas still not bowl eligible. Let that sink in for a second. With two games to play, Arkansas has got a must-win game coming up in the next two weeks. 
You got Ole Miss this weekend. I do think they'll win that one. And I, I'm, I'm still abiding by my conspiracy theory that Arkansas will beat Ole Miss and then lose to Missouri, thus pushing the Tigers into the bowl picture too. I, listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and name names or anything like that. This is all just kind of in my head, which may be a dangerous thing. But if you got an official out there that will throw a flag to determine the outcome of a game, you, you, don't, you don't think somebody would say, you know what, there's a lot of money at stake here. Arkansas is not going anywhere special anyway. Maybe let's give Missouri the benefit of the doubt. You know, Missouri may not need the help. They're playing better as of late. But Arkansas, again, very, very, very much in a precarious position. And really, they can no longer leapfrog Mississippi State. Just at this point, it's not conceivable at this point. So Mississippi State should get a better bowl opportunity than Auburn. Then that brings you to uh, the rest of the group that all need to win out in order to get to a bowl game. And this is where it gets awfully dicey. We mentioned South Carolina. And then we'll get to Missouri. And I guess I kind of misspoke there, so forgive me. Uh, Missouri, four and six, beginning of the year, I thought they were going to struggle to get to a bowl game. It is now very much conceivable, of course, they should win this weekend against New Mexico State. Should. You never know what happens in college football. There's always something crazy that could happen. But they should be able to handle that, which should make them a five and six team heading into senior day next weekend against uh, Arkansas. And New Mexico State this year is four and five. You know, it's not like it's just some great team. Now, the good thing is they've won three in a row, you know, so they might be able to go in there and compete. But it's been against, you know, New Mexico, UMass, Lamar. I just wonder how tight Arkansas is going to be uh, when they had to go to Missouri because I think Missouri is going to be loose and fast. Missouri has already accepted the fact they've got to win their final two games to get in the postseason. Arkansas has just been needing to get one. And then, you know, of course, the loss to Liberty kind of puts them behind the eight ball a little bit. And so, you know, all the pressure in many respects is on Arkansas to win this week because I think Missouri is going to get them. And I may be completely wrong about that. I think Missouri is playing better. And I think in the end, with all that money at stake, eh, you know, that's just kind of how I see it. And so I, I think at that point, you know, Missouri becomes uh, one of those teams you have to kind of consider, okay, where, where do they fall in the, in the pecking order? Because we're talking pool of six here, and you got Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, and State. You could have a six and six team in the pool of six. Yeah, it's true. You could. It's crazy to think about how that's all kind of played out this year. Those are the things like I think we all expect it to be a competitive year this year. And I think probably two or three weeks in, we thought, you know what? We got a couple of great teams and a couple of really good teams and kind of everybody else. I think everybody else is a much bigger group than we anticipated. But, uh, you know, looking again, you know, Missouri should be able to win their last two. And again, that last one's a toss up, but it's six and six. They're in the pool of six. Arkansas. Six and six or seven and five, they're in the pool of six. And so after the pool of six, of course, is your extra bowl games, right? You know, Birmingham Bowl, the, the Weed Whacker Bowl, whatever it is. The only teams that could conceivably fill those spots will have to win out. That's Vanderbilt and Auburn. Now, we know what Vanderbilt's schedule looks like. And the chances of them winning those games are few and far between. They have to – they get to host both of them, Florida and Tennessee. I think at this point, nobody's expecting them to win either of those games. So, I think it's pretty safe to say that Vandy 
last week basically just staved off another week of elimination. So once they're eliminated, the SEC will not be able to reach all its SEC bowl tie-ins. That's pretty crazy, too. Then, of course, there's Auburn. Auburn, of course, Western Kentucky this weekend. That should be a win. And honestly, outside of Georgia, has anybody played harder the last two weeks than Auburn? I mean, seriously. Give Cadillac Williams a lot of credit. And that's one of the things that I think about, too, if you're John Cohen – you know, all of a sudden, if uh, Cadillac can beat Western Kentucky and find a way to win the Iron Bowl, you almost have a Gary Henderson situation on yourself. Because then all of a sudden there'll be this groundswell of support. I mean, they could argue they should have beat Mississippi State. Of course, some of our own lack of execution and ineptitude allowed them to kind of stay in the ball game there. But they played hard. There's no doubting the effort. And then they beat Texas A&M. They beat Western Kentucky. You could end the year on a three-game winning streak pretty crazy to think about and you beat Alabama all of a sudden you know I think hiring Cadillac full-time may be maybe you know a little bit of an icy proposition but you got to keep him in some capacity whether it be running backs coach or whatever you got to keep him after the job that he's done and the way people love him but I think you got to give him an interview too I don't think he gets the job and I don't think that he's a guy that would cause problems if he didn't you know a lot of times they don't want to keep the interim guy around because people are beholden to him I think in this case it's a good thing because I think Cadillac is all in at Auburn. Cadillac's made his money. He's coaching at Auburn for the love of Auburn and the love of the game of football. He's not going to go in there and do anything detrimental for Auburn football. But it could be awfully interesting if Auburn wins these last two games, for sure. It would not be an uh, you know, enviable situation in many respects. It would be a groundswell of support for him. But they're going to need to win those two. I don't think they do. I think they beat Western Kentucky – and then uh, lose to Alabama. So that leaves us, you know, with six pool of six teams, assuming Arkansas and Missouri get bowl eligible. And we could see a situation here too, like if Ole Miss beats Arkansas and then Arkansas beats Missouri, you know, you could have a situation here where there's one other team that drops out. You know, then Missouri doesn't make it. You know, and, and what if Arkansas – uh, you know, or what if New Mexico State goes and upsets Missouri? You don't, you don't expect that, but, you know, there's a reason we play the games. What if New Mexico State beats Missouri, Ole Miss beats Arkansas, and then Missouri beats Arkansas, and then both of those teams are 5-7? and seven? It's pretty crazy to think about it. Who thought we'd be in a situation here where you're, you're kind of discussing the fate of 500 teams? Pretty nuts. Not, there's not a lot of greatness in the SEC this year. There's, there's not. There is some greatness, but there's not a lot. It's not one of those years where you look at and say, hey, these handful of teams dominated the conference. You know, there is a lot of parity within the league this year. If we talk about any given Saturday, I mean, that's truly the case. So let's look at the pool of six here, right? So here are the bowl games that are considered the pool of six for the SEC this year. It's the Texas Bowl. They call it the Tex Act, Texas Bowl. That's played December 28th. There is the SRS Distributors Las Vegas Bowl. That's played December 17th. I have been told that Mississippi State officials, not a big fan of that. I'd love to go to Vegas, but um, I don't think we end up there. I think somebody else does, especially with the December 17th kick. The TransPerfect Music City Bowl, that's December 31st. And there's, of course, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. We're, we're very familiar with that, and I think – I think a lot of people would kind of snooze on that because we've been there so many times. Then there's the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. 
in Memphis. We won't be there. And then there's the ReliaQuest Bowl, formerly known as the Outback Bowl. That's on January 2nd. So based on how things project today, Mississippi State will be in one of those six bowl games. Crazier things have happened, I guess. But, uh, you know, again, I guess there is an outside shot. You know, like if Ole Miss loses out, State wins out, and then the traffic falls the way it should for State, I guess the Citrus could pick Mississippi State. I'm certainly not expecting that. I think given the choice between Florida and Mississippi State, the Citrus would pick Florida every time, even though we've never been. So how do I think this is all going to play out here, right? So if I, ha- if I have to call it, you know, how we're going to project – if Ole Miss loses or Arkansas loses to Mississippi State, finishes year eight and four, I still think they're going to get a pretty good bowl game. But I think there has to be probably some politicking involved in the event there's a coaching change at Ole Miss. But assuming Arkansas makes it, and I believe they will, you know, I think Arkansas is probably a good fit, you know, for, uh, you know, for Texas Bowl. But I, I believe Mississippi State at this point, based on the current flow of traffic, should – have a, a really good opportunity to end up, uh, you know, in the state of Florida because of the fact that there's going to be a lot of 7-5 and five and 6-6 six and six teams behind us. And so, uh, again, that's where we are. And, again, I don't think we, we fill the Birmingham Bowl or the Gasparilla Bowl. I just don't think we're going to have the teams for it. So other teams will fill that spot. So you'll be in a pool of six. You won't be in a New Year's six. But, um, again, should be a great holiday destination for us. I said on the show a couple weeks ago I felt if we lost the Egg Bowl, we'd be in Texas. And I do think that's probably the preferred destination if we finish seven and five, rather than Las Vegas. If you finish eight and four, you win the Egg Bowl. I think you're either in the Outback Bowl or the Gator Bowl. And I think if you could probably, you know, make some, uh, you know, some political maneuvering there, you know, you could probably get back in the Outback Bowl. But again, it just kind of depends on how it's all going to shake loose. I'd love to go back to the Outback Bowl. I-, I like going to bowl games anyway. But you know, we went there last time and we should have won the game. Remember how hot it was too? It was crazy. But, yeah, there's a realistic possibility for State to be in the Florida Bowl game, and I don't think there's any question if State wins out, State is in Florida. If not, I think we're likely in Texas. Could be some shakeup there. They could send us back to Music City. You know, how this whole thing works, and uh, we go over this every year. Outside of the Citrus Bowl, none of the bowls pick. Like the ones that have SEC bowl tie-ins, basically they sign a contract with the Southeastern Conference, and then the SEC delivers them a team. Like the bowl reps come around, that sort of stuff, you know. But they don't pick a team. You know, the SEC, and there's been some things in the past where some teams were kind of passed over for other teams in the name of ticket sales and not really in in the case of of merit. It happened to Ole Miss, you know, when Eli was there. You know, Alabama ends up going to to, uh, Independence Bowl instead of Ole Miss, and Ole Miss should have gone. I mean, it breaks my heart, but, you know, that's not fair. And so the SEC kind of stepped in and said, here's how we're going to do it. So the schools then will list their three preferences, which three schools, would they, which bowl game would they want to go to. And then the bowls themselves submit their three, and it goes to the SEC office. So let's say for an example that Mississippi State says, hey, my number one preference is the Outback Bowl. And the Outback Bowl says, hey, my number one preference is Mississippi State. There's no need for any further discussion. You just match them up and send them on. Everybody's happy, right? You know, we had some issue a couple of years ago when A&M got sent to the Belk Bowl, and they were like, hey, we've been in this league all these years and never got a chance to go to Florida. Well, they got to go the next year, you know. So there's always some maneuvering. And, again, the league office ultimately decides which SEC team goes where in this pool of six. 
Now, there'll be people out here writing articles and say, hey, I really hear that this bowl wants this team. And that's great. But ultimately, it's going to be Greg Sankey and the folks at the SEC office that make that decision. So understand that going in. And I've read with great interest a lot of these uh, national projections, and you can tell they don't know that. They don't understand that. The SEC sends a team. The bowl doesn't select a team. Because in the end, there have been some bowl games before where, where the team didn't pick the bowl and the bowl didn't pick the team. But there was like a game of musical chairs, so that spot was still open, so we had to plug a team in there from the Southeastern Conference, and we did. That's how Texas A&M ultimately ended up in the Belk Bowl. I don't know if it was the Mayonnaise Bowl then yet or not. I think it was uh, still the Belk Bowl. But you know, my point being is that this process seems rather complicated. It's really not. You know, once the playoff picks are done, the playoff rankings are final, that protocol is already firmly established. So everybody that qualifies for New Year's Six or playoff, well, they're gone. They're no longer in discussions for the SEC Bowl tie-ins. And then there is that pool of six. And then after the Citrus Bowl makes their selection, and they usually let the league know well in advance of that so they can all have their announcement together, then Greg Sankey and the guys up there go ahead and put all this together. And so that's how it's all going to play out. I think it's important you know, to understand, despite the fact that it's been an up-and-down year, it can still end exactly how we expected it to. Maybe not exactly how we wanted it to. But if you end up 8-4 and four with the egg and in a Florida bowl game, I don't know how you could consider the season anything other than a success. You know, sometimes we get caught up in arguing about the minutia of things. We get so caught up in the minor things, we lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is having winning seasons, improving upon them, getting the better bowl games. If you found out be at the beginning of the year, if we said, hey, we're eight and four with the egg and we're headed to the Outback Bowl, we're headed to Gator Bowl, you'd be like, yep, I'll take it right now. Well, now it's here. The opportunity for that to happen presents itself. But if I was a betting man, I would say lose the egg, Texas Bowl, win the egg, either in the Gator or the Outback Bowl. That's just how I would, I would suspect it to be today. And, again, an outside chance the Citrus could pick us. But I just, you know, the SEC doesn't have a lot of influence over that decision. And so I think ultimately if us in Florida are in a similar situation, they take Florida. And that's a team, too, would have a lot of juice. Like if they beat Florida State, the Citrus Bowl would have no trouble selling tickets. Geography plays a major factor in that. But I don't know how you could argue against Florida maybe deserving that due to a late-season push. So those are the teams to kind of watch around us. Again, I think South Carolina will fade considerably down the stretch, and I think there's a possibility Kentucky could do the same. And so I think Ole Miss, Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, all kind of right there together at the top of the pool of six. That's kind of how I see it. And, you know, you can look at it and say, well, we're basing our bowl projections on how things look today. Well, that's great today. But there's a lot left to do. There's a lot of football left to be played that is going to ultimately shake this thing out. And so the fact that the State and Ole Miss are both in contention for potentially the same bowl games, considering how the season started for Ole Miss, uh, I think in some ways is a surprise to a lot of people. But um, it's all within our reach, and we control our own destiny here. You simply win the next two games, and you're going to get a really good ball game somewhere. You don't. Probably going to Houston, Texas to follow that traffic. So that's to look at it today. Now, we'll be back on Friday, and we'll talk about um, – you know, we'll preview the weekend, kind of look at where your stat leaders are and things of that nature, and we'll talk a little bit about some more basketball stuff and hopefully some recruiting stuff. We've got uh, 
couple irons in the fire there. Some new offers have gone out to 23 prospects, including some within the state of Mississippi. So it could be some new developments then. And uh, there's some things we're, we're kind of watching. Paul Jones and I both kind of keeping our finger on the pulse here. A couple of names that we're watching and uh, could see, you know, some news here in the next couple of weeks. I think there's probably a lot of players will kind of hold out until they take their official visits. But I do think there are some recent offerees of Mississippi State that may be a little closer to making a decision. And, uh, you know, the staff may tell them to hold off till we take the visit. But I do think there are some guys that are trending well for Mississippi State. Remind you, as always, go to dogpilebook.com and you can get all my sports books there. And the turkey book is there, too. Don't forget the turkey book. Great image on the front of that thing. You'll be glad you got it. And uh, Stark Villains gear, always available at uh, starkvillains.com. I want to get out of here a couple things, too, that um, it's been a difficult week in many respects for me, and I don't want to get too too personal about that kind of stuff, and sometimes I do on these shows. But uh, I want to just tell you this, that uh, I have spent a lot of time in my life yeah, I guess in some respects, kind of building a brand. And it wasn't always the case. I just went to work like everybody else. I did a job. And then, uh, you know, when I got into sports media, it was important for me to kind of get established. And there are times that I do some things that are just not necessary. And what I mean by that is, like, I, I look up a lot. I want to give numbers for you guys. But there are sometimes too, that, like, I'll, I'll stay up late at night and I'll research stuff and ultimately never use it. And, and uh, I went to a Franklin Covey planning class years ago. And I'm going to start getting back some of those principles. You know, it's like my kids are, I got one kid left in the house and he will leave to go to Mississippi State uh, next summer. And, um, yeah, that's it. And I think sometimes, too, it's like, you know, when when your kids start driving, all of a sudden your schedule changes, you know, because in, in the past your schedule is their schedule. you got to drop them off for ball practice, pick them up from school or whatever. And so what happens with me sometimes is when I know they don't have anywhere to be, I just kind of work when I want to, which ultimately means I work all the time. And uh, I don't necessarily do enough fun things for myself, but I, I will share this with you kind of as a cautionary tale in some respects for other people. It's that uh, I have really tried hard to be a lot of things to a lot of people. I've really worked hard at that. And then the people that have paid for that you know, have been my family. And so I say that because I'm going to make some changes you're not going to be getting a boneyard at two in the morning, right? I'm going to put some, I'm making some changes in my life as far as scheduling, kind of getting back to things I want to do. Cause like some talk, even today I got up and said, well, I don't have anywhere to be until media opportunity. So I can just kind of record the show when I want to, I'm going to be a lot more structured and regimented uh, with this. And there's some other things too, because of the fact that uh, I, maybe I haven't been as organized as I used to be. You know, I haven't done my recovery podcast in many months. And that was something that was very important to me. And I have a lot of people that asked me to do that. And so I'm not going to have this fly by my seat of my pants type thing again. I mean, I'm going to get back to basics here. So my, my commitment to you today is I'm going to do my best to start getting you the show around the same time on production day. So like a lot of times if you come up, it's, you know, it's sometimes it's there when you, when you go to work and other times it's not up until like five o'clock. And so I'm going to try to do a better job of putting a schedule together and sticking to that schedule and getting that stuff out there. And I think it'll help my stress and anxiety, but also too, it's going to free me up to go do things because my kids are scattered now. I've got a son in Riders, Arkansas. I've got a daughter in Palm Bay, Florida. I've got another daughter that will graduate, eventually going to law school. And so I can't just consistently just wing it. And uh, I have made it a long way just kind of winging it at times. And so my hope is you get better shows and you get better production value from all this stuff uh, because I'm going to get a lot more organized. And uh, 
you know, I've got some things that are very important to me that um, I have not maybe committed enough of my emotional energy and time to. And so I'm going to do that. I've got to do some things for myself. It's we always talk about the whole self-care thing. And some of that, there's a lot that is defined in many ways. But one of the things that I learned in that Franklin Covey class is you have to have personal goals, too, in addition to your professional goals. And over the course of maybe the last seven, eight years, that hadn't really been the case. Like all of my goals have really been professional, not really with my family uh, or even personal stuff for myself. I mean, I used to always have this goal that one day I wanted to, uh, you know, to, to coach a soccer team to a state championship. And I haven't coached uh, soccer in a long time. I, I coached rec when we got here, but I used to coach travel team soccer. And so eventually at some point I'd like to get into that again, or maybe even, you know, being a volunteer coach at a high school or whatever. I used to, I have coached soccer uh, and baseball on the high school level and uh, basketball on the middle school level. And so in one championships at all. And so I, I, I guess I'm not in baseball, but uh, my point being is I share that with you, not to just sit here and talk about myself, but to encourage you, maybe don't make the mistakes that I, that I have made because I have been so incredibly career driven over the course of the last few years. And of course, you know, I own the business now on jeanspage.com. And so I've been successful in all that, but I can't sit here and tell you that, that everything is all, you know, peaches and cream. Yeah. I wish that I could sit here and tell you life is hard sometimes it is. And there's always a trade-off. And so I'm going to be committing more time to my family. You're going to get the same number of shows, but my hope is that I can deliver them more consistently um, in a timely manner. So you're not having to wonder all day when the boneyard's going up. And uh, it's just like on Monday, I mean, the show was up at, you know, five in the morning and today it's not going to be up until around, you know, two o'clock. And so I just, I want to do a better job for me, my family, and for all of you. And so I just encourage you to Consider that in your own life. And I hate to give these platitudes and feel like I'm preaching to you, but I can tell you that, you know, I have had to reevaluate some things because of my own level of personal satisfaction. And also, too, this, the growing reality that I'm going to be an empty nester next year, right? I mean, and so those are the things that I think about. You know, what, what in the world is going to happen when I'm, you know, here all the time? You know, I don't have, there are times I have got to get this done before the kid gets home, we got dinner, whatever. You know, I don't know. And so I guess in some ways you call it a bit of a midlife crisis, but I'm just kind of evaluating some things, and I've got to do a better job with every bit of that. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, to going out and seeing my kids too, and that's one thing I think about too is as scattered as they are, I've got to be able to allocate and budget some time to go do that. We have a very busy schedule when it comes to covering Mississippi State. Now, I don't cover basketball, men's or women's, until we get into SEC play, and then I only cover big games because – Paul and Robbie do such a great job. We don't need to go out there and have three stories unless it's a big game or a big win. And uh, so I go in those roles as a an assist type thing. It's still their primary story. I just go to kind of do a sidebar because I know you guys are excited to learn more about a big ball game. But, uh, you know, it's tough sometimes. It's tough keeping this schedule and it's tough keeping this machine moving. And uh, I don't say that I feel overwhelmed. I just will tell you that there are some, there are some things that I wish that I would have done differently. I wish that I would have done some things differently when it's come to my time because I give so much to so many people there are sometimes I don't have it to give to, to people that matter the most. And so I'm reevaluating that and uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of things differently as we kind of move forward. And so I, I share that with you because, you know, we sit here and we talk about sports sometimes and uh, I think it's important sometimes we talk about real stuff too. Not that the sports stuff doesn't matter. I mean, it's how I make my living. But I think it's important, too, to kind of understand we can kind of learn from each other. 
And I think, you know, when you, when you reach a point in your life and maybe you reach a certain level of success, you kind of look back and think, you know what, it was a price to pay for all of this. And uh, was it worth it? I would say yes. Uh, but there, there are probably some people in my life that would, would probably wish I was around a little bit more. And so, again, there are a lot of things that I do that maybe are not necessary. And so I'm reevaluating every bit of that. And uh, we'll, I'm committed to giving you guys a better product as we move forward. So that's it. And there was a lot of people that reached out yesterday that thought that, like, something was really wrong with me. And uh, I appreciate that very, very much. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Everybody around me is going to be fine. Uh, you know, so you guys are awesome. And there's so many people – I wrote a poem on Facebook that, uh, you know, I'm in recovery. And so I wrote a poem uh, that was kind of recovery-based. And that's usually when I write that stuff is like when I'm dealing with something, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. If I'm feeling emotion, I don't want to waste the emotion. And so I use it to create something. And a lot of people took it too literally. And I had people calling me thinking I was going to relapse, you know. And uh, that just wasn't the case. But uh, you guys that did reach out to me, your genuine concern for me is very moving uh, and some of you guys even choked me up a little, a little bit, to be honest with you. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not choked up there. I had needed to sneeze. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's rewarding, to say the least. But listen, let me get out of here. I've preached long enough. Thank you guys for your support of the Boneyard and all the things we do at jeanspage.com. Uh, we appreciate it so much when you guys share and retweet our content. It uh, means more than I can ever express to you guys, too. Let's have a great week. We look forward to seeing you guys back on Friday as we prepare for the SEC football weekend. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.